0: Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and
2: Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
0: Easy parking with Easy Trip. Now available at Dundrum Town Centre. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum,
1: where more happens. You are listening to the Tuesday, January 16th edition of Road to Biz Radio. I'm Pat Corain on Twitter at Pat Karain, and with me is Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore contrarian. Sean, good to have you on.
2: Well, it's uh, it's a very exciting week to, to do a show. We just had some great playoff games, and as someone who has always been inappropriately enthusiastic about Stefan Diggs, it was very exciting and gratifying to see uh just the miracle finish to the Vikings game. So we'll talk about that but also excited to have on Dr. Jeff Budoff who uh, contributes to Rotaviz from time to time with medical information updates giving us sort of the inside track on how to approach injuries and he has written a, a tremendous article for Rotaviz recently about Andrew Luck's injury and he's going to talk to us about that today and that's especially relevant with the coaching carousel and what it looks like may be an exciting coaching hire for the Indianapolis Colts at the same time a big risk for the person coming in there with luck so excited to have all of that in the show tonight.
1: Yeah and Dr. Jeff is absolutely fantastic the the type of analysis he can give you you know is really tough to get anywhere else and he's just one thing I like about him is that he's so able so easily able to uh, to call BS on some of the stuff that we'll hear from teams and Andrew Luck and uh, everything we've gotten from the Colts and Jim Irsay over the last year. So much of it obviously was BS and basically it may still be that way to some extent. So, um, so definitely check out that interview. Um, but yeah, we wanted to get into here in this segment, Sean, just some of the, uh, some of our takeaways from this week's game and looking ahead to next week before we get into that, did want to remind you that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to road of his NFL Pass. Through the podcast homepage, rotavis.com/podcast. Uh, your subscription will give you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, and it also helps support the podcast, which you can also do by subscribing to and rating the Rotavis Radio channel on iTunes. Uh, this show shows up as the uh, Rotavis Fantasy Football Show, also the Rotavis Radio channel. So you got two options on iTunes to subscribe to there. And if you want to contact us, you can always do that on Twitter at Rotavis Radio or via email. At, road of his radio at gmail.com All right Sean, yeah, let's talk about uh this past uh weekend of games. Let's start with the Vikings which was just like I think <laughs> what what people have kind of come to the conclusion almost objectively that that was the greatest playoff finish ever almost. I mean certainly outside of let's say this outside of Super Bowls and I think regular season is a, it's a regular not regular season um non-overtime game so in um in you know in in uh outside of in regular time it's the only walk-off touchdown ever in playoff history so pretty amazing stuff there and uh i i went down a rabbit hole yesterday <laughs> you know I, I recorded this tuesday so i had the day off monday and i was just watching uh, various vikings reaction videos and i mean there's just a ton of really great stuff out there um my brother is a, a vikings fan he kind of just randomly chose them when he was nine because he because that he happened to be nine at uh the year of randy moss's rookie year and and purple was his favorite color so it kind of came together and he's been a huge vikings fan ever since so i was rooting for the vikings just just so he could finally get a a win here um and man what what a great finish! Unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So let me ask you, we talked, we had Peter Overzet on the show a couple weeks ago and talked at length about the FFPC playoff contest. And one of the things we talked about was the possibility of going with either Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen for one of your wide receiver spots. A reminder for anybody just tuning in, you had to pick one player from each NFL team or, or 10 of the 12 Uh Pete came back, he, he gave us uh, some info on ownership percentages, and it did turn out that Diggs was very low-owned. So for the two teams that you and Pete entered, did you end up with your Stefan Diggs exposure?
1: We have uh, 50% Stefan Diggs exposure on our two teams. Um, unfortunately, it's not the team where we had Michael Thomas. So we went. Uh, we kind of went with a like an upside play going Cam Newton playing for that upset in round one with um and then we had michael thomas opposite that basically thinking that um you know in the type of game where where uh the panthers win maybe it's a little more uh you know maybe it's a little more of a shootout or, or what have you so we went michael thomas on that team but then um because we took a can took a panther um where normally we were going panthers kicker and then um eagles defense that left us needing another defense, so we went Vikings defense on that team, so we don't have Digs on the Michael Thomas team. But on our other team, we do have Digs, and that team's just a few points behind. So going into the the conference championship week, we have um, we have Fournette, Gronk, Digs, and uh, the Eagles kicker. So still four players alive, although certainly we're at a disadvantage to anyone who had Ertz going, but. But Diggs, I think, is essentially the key to, you know, our – if we were, you know, a world where we win this, it has to be because of Diggs because we're not going to have enough differentiation from other teams with, with Gronk and Fournette who are going to be really highly owned and we're not going to get enough points out of the Eagles kicker. So, Well,
2: I think the, the thing that you could really like about this game – Besides the fact that it had one of the most incredible finishes ever, is that this game really saw both teams do what you would hope that they would do. We finally saw a version of the New Orleans Saints that seems like a real Saints team. We had Drew Brees go for 294 and three. We had Michael Thomas go with a 785 and two line and it even managed to get Ted Ginn pretty involved. We saw Camara again show his versatility with over 100 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown, and we saw a game in which the Saints played a good defense, and as a result, Mark Ingram was relatively worthless. So if I'm a Saints fan, I'm a little bit frustrated that the Saints approached the season the way that they did because it didn't necessarily have them set to do what they needed to do on the biggest stage. They continue to really emphasize Ingram, a player who doesn't have that playoff winning ability in him and really distracts from the other thing so if you don't have those 10 carries for 25 yards uh, you know maybe you get a few more touches for Kamara I think that's what they're gonna try and do next year on the other hand you know you saw a very balanced and impressive Vikings offense now they ended up you know not converting enough of their yardage early on into into touchdowns and uh, a handful of handful of you know sort of specific types of plays ended up costing them some points that would have really sealed the game early but you have case keenum again looking awesome with the 300 passing yards although obviously a lot of that came on on the final play but you got a solid game from both Latavius Murray and Jarrett McKinnon, each of them with a score. And then you have the 6-137-1 and one from Diggs. You have 6-74 for at Thielen, uh, including the play where he was interfered with twice, two different penalties, and then made a fantastic catch on the sideline. Both of those guys are very, very good. Yeah. And I think the Vikings have a lot to be excited about as they go into the Final Four here.
1: Yeah, I mean, Thielen made almost as good a play as Diggs did on that catch. I mean, just absolutely got manhandled he got he got held and P.I.'d, right? And then he goes up and one-handed catches the ball. I mean, absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, they have two total studs at wide receiver. Um, when you look ahead to next week when, you know, they're traveling to Philly, how do you see that game shaking out?
2: Well, the Eagles are going to have to score better against the Falcons and, and try and control that game a little bit more. That game was frustrating, I think. In contrast to, say, Steelers-Jaguars, where a lot of it is game situation. The Jaguars get way ahead. The Steelers have to come out firing. And you get a game where a throws for 416 yards and five touchdowns against not only an elite passing defense for 2017, but arguably one of the better passing defenses we've seen in the last decade. And yet, because of game situation, you see a attack and make a bunch of, of very impressive plays. You would have liked to see more of that offense, who... Seem to really sit on a little bit of an edge that they got early. You know, Devontae Freeman being far less than, than 100% and really not getting what they need from anyone else other than Julio Jones. So I'm not sure that the Eagles were able to hold down the Falcons. Gives you a sense of what will happen in that Vikings game where you have two elite defenses, but one offense the is far superior to the other.
1: Yeah, and that, I mean, some of the offensive... Play calling for the Falcons was just bad. I mean, in that last play, like I thought it was a crappy play when I watched it, and then I heard that you know the Eagles are basically expecting that exact play and had practiced it and even done it in the walkthrough um, pregame. So, like it was not only bad, it was completely predictable as well. So, I mean, I just I, I've been kind of a not so much on this podcast, but just uh, <laughs> you know in my life have just been trashing Sarkeesian um and thinking he was you know a terrible pick and has been terrible all year and I just thought he I mean he's it sounds like he'll be back right but he's gotta I think he's gotta go man it's I think he really holds him back and you can see such a big difference with Shanahan leaving and, and Sarkeesian coming in
2: And one of the big changes that we've seen in fantasy football or one of the trends that we're seeing is the incorporation of running the passing game. And that's something that I think is very, very important from a reality football perspective is that you need to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers in areas where they can maximize the value of that individual play. So we want to replace some low value running plays with some slightly higher value plays to the same player so we can keep our running backs involved but we can create plays that are more explosive for them and you know couching is excellent at that last year and his offenses have traditionally been very good at getting the ball to run back in space and then you look at what the falcons have done this year in the most crucial game of the season 10 points who at this point, and certainly with Freeman being a little banged up, is they're more explosive. But that's, I mean, that's a very high praise. Devontae Freeman, obviously a star. But Tevin Coleman, one of the most explosive backs in the entire NFL. You know, he has one reception for 14 yards. You just have to get your playmakers much more involved in the game. and It's a real concern for Coleman's fantasy outlook for 2018 being sort of mired in this timeshare, but not just mired in a timeshare. We've seen some backs. We just talked about the saints. And even if Mark Ingram is still utilized, both of those guys are still very valuable from a fantasy perspective. We didn't get to that with the Falcons because, you know, they're not, they're not getting the ball to Tevin Coleman in the passing game.
1: Yeah. And it's not like um, Sarkeesian didn't have kind of the, the game plan for this already. Like, you know, Shanahan had mapped this out. Like they, it's like this offense functions really well when you throw to these two guys, like, they were both there like they stay you know that he basically inherited the exact same personnel and has just done such a worse job utilizing it and it's just like to me it's like you're saying like it's it's a very high value real football thing to get your running backs involved in the passing game and to move so drastically away from that just to me it's just like a bad coaching it's just bad it's just bad play calling period and uh, I agree I mean it's it's certainly bad for Coleman's short-term value if they're not going to involve him like they did last year, you know, if what we saw this year is what we're going to see going forward, which I, I don't really see any reason not to think that. It's definitely bad for a short-term value. But, um, yeah, going into this game next week, I mean, I'm uh, I'm certainly bullish on the Vikings, and I, I kind of hope that they come out, you know, like you mentioned with the Steelers, kind of uh, just going hard against a really good offense and just trying to put up a ton of points. I think if you're the Vikings, that's exactly – the mindset that you should be in because um, you should be trying to make foals, you know, throw as much as possible. You should be trying to, to outpace foals. And I I really hope that the Vikings don't come in and think, okay, we're on the road. So let's just like, let's just use our defense here and try to get out of here with a tight win. I I would love to see them go into Philly and just say, we're going to try to outpace you.
2: And I think from a football fan's perspective, you're really hoping that, the best team comes out of this and represents the NFC in the Super Bowl. And whether that's against an exciting, young, upstart Jacksonville Jaguars team, or if it's against sort of this New England Patriots uh, juggernaut dynasty, what have you, I think you want to have the best team in that big game. A team that has a lot of explosiveness on both sides, you know, clearly has the elite defense as well. So I think if you're not a healthy fan, you're probably hoping for. The Vikings, and certainly if you aren't, then you can take some This as uh, a deep team with a young franchise quarterback coming back, and unless something unforeseen happens, the Eagles should be in this game many, many times in the next decade.
1: Yeah, hopefully once will be back at full health, and and we'll see this team back here with him at the helm uh, in future years, I agree. So, moving over to the AFC, looking ahead, I mean... uh. We didn't talk so much about the AFC. You know, it's crazy that, that um, the Steelers-Jaguars game, which was also just a terrific game, was kind of completely overshadowed by the ending of the Vikings-Saints game. But, you know, that was a really good game. And I thought the Jags' defense played well despite having, a you know, a lot of points put up against them. Some of the plays, um, you know, some of the touchdowns that the, the Steelers, the Martavis Bryant touchdown was just – You know that just a reminder that he's Martavis Bryant is still a fantastic athlete and got incredible speed, and then um, you know terrific throw from Ben Roethlisberger, and then the Antonio uh, Brown touchdown, the one-hander. I mean, just some really fantastic stuff. So uh, I don't. You know, I thought that the Jags defense actually played pretty well, and then um, their offense played well too. I mean, it was you know Bortles was not necessarily lighting the world on fire but he was definitely um serviceable and fournette looked awesome um hopefully you know he doesn't have any issues with having kind of tweaked his his ankle i believe in you know in that game going into this week so anyway i'm i I kind of feel like this this could be a game um you know looking at the line here uh, currently it looks like new england's favored by nine minnesota by the way is favored by either three or three and a half depending on where you look but um New England favorite by nine at home. I feel like Jacksonville has a chance in this game. Um, like if I was going to take them and the points, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to that because I think they could actually win outright um, if things break right. Obviously, they are the underdog. But what I would be curious, Sean, to get your take on what you would do here if you were Jacksonville. How would you play this game if you were if you were kind of drawing up a game plan? as the Jacksonville coaching staff, uh, what would you be looking to do?
2: I think you need some of those big defensive plays early, and that's going to be difficult. Because Even though the Steelers have a more explosive offense with more high-quality skilled personnel than the Patriots, the Patriots are less likely to make those mistakes. Now, Jacksonville creates a lot of the mistakes and doesn't rely on the other team. Um, obviously, you have the scoop and score where – you have the pressure on Roethlisberger, the fumble. You have what really gets, you know, as you mentioned, got overshadowed, which is a fantastic inter- interception by Miles Jack early in the game, mm-hmm. where he manages to get his arm around, knocks the ball up in the air a little bit, and then Taps his feet. Uh, instead of yeah instead of just simply making the play and, and stopping it as a not successful play for the Steelers, he actually makes an incredible interception then on the tail end of that which really changed the game and set them up to be in a position where they could do the things they wanted to do on offense now obviously we saw them drive down and score that on that first drive and that also sort of set the stage for the game if they can do that against the patriots then they'll be in terrific shape but you want to try and uh, do everything that you possibly can in that first quarter to maintain an environment where you have a balanced offense. You need Fournette to be involved. Uh, In this game, Bortles, he played, he played fine. They scored a lot of points, but you only saw more than one reception from one wide receiver. Whereas, you know, both Yeldon and Fournette uh, had three and two respectively. The only receiver in more than one reception was Marquise Lee. And while one of those was a huge third down conversion, that again, sort of shifted the game. You know, those, those were not explosive plays. You know, he had the big play to tequila, but Cole, Hearns, uh, Westbrook, they combined for three total receptions. And uh, the Patriots are almost certainly going to force, the Jaguars into being more effective in the passing game.
1: Yeah. I think, um, what I would be trying to do if I was the Jaguars would be getting to Brady without blitzing. Cause if you can get pre get pressure on him without blitzing, then I think that's, that's huge. Um, and then I, but I think on offense, I'd be, I'd be <laughs> really trying to hide portals. I mean, like, I feel like the, the way the Jags win this is they, be, is they do what I'm hoping, um, The Vikings don't try to do which is that they go and they say we are just going to try to win this with our defense and you know if we can hold the Patriots to like 17 points we have a shot um but man I would be really really nervous about trying to put up you know Blake Bortles throwing the ball against uh against Bill the mind of Bill Belichick you know even though that defense hasn't been great man I I would just be trying to limit Bortles throws as, as much as humanly possible
2: does it hurt the Jaguars at all that the Patriots come in with this weird offense that doesn't feature a a star receiver or at least a star receiver in the traditional sense where obviously Gronkowski is, is actually the the offensive focal point and the star but in the game last week Danny Amendola has 11 catches for 112 yards and you know it, it's easy to forget that Amendola is even on the roster a lot of the time uh, will it make the game plan a more difficult for Jacksonville knowing that it's are simply going to take dump offs and take the play, the easy play as opposed to try and force the ball to a star.
1: It could, I guess, but the thing with the Jacksonville defense is that it's, it's really deep. It's not like, you know, like they have Ramsey obviously, but um, Bouye was on Antonio Brown uh, for, for much of the, the Steelers game. And the other thing about the Jags defense is that it's really fast. So I I think it might – it might not – it it actually might be kind of a bad matchup for the Patriots in the sense that, like, if you're – the Pats are generally doing a lot of shorter-type plays, yards after catch, kind of keeping the ball moving and kind of um, working their way down the field. They don't really have kind of the the take-the-top-off, the the defense guy right now outside of, like, Gronk. So I I actually – I don't know that the, the Patriots necessarily outside of being Tom Brady and the Patriots prevent present like a huge challenge just based on the way their offense is designed. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, certainly if you're a Patriots fan, you're hoping that they can finally make one of those connections to Brandon cooks. It seems like every week he gets behind the defense and every week he either can't quite make the catch on the ball it's on his fingertips or Brady simply misses him. Now that's obviously nitpicking for a team that has done, what the Patriots have done, but if they could get one of those connections, it would really help. Not just from the perspective of those being, you know, important yards, potentially a, a key, you know, game-shifting touchdown, but just also opening things up for some of the other players underneath. It'll also be interesting to see if the Patriots have to run more or more effectively than they did last week, where Dion Lewis was really not that involved in the game, uh, at least from a running perspective. Even though the other main running backs, or specifically RotoViz favorite uh, Rex Burkhead, was was not active, but he did chip in for nine receptions. Which again, we see the Patriots taking what the defense gives underneath. Before well, I'd like to get your take on the Titans. We heard that Malarkey had saved his job with the comeback win against the Chiefs, but I don't think anyone was, was surprised that the Titans lost this game in embarrassing fashion. And then what was a little bit of a surprise was him parting ways with the franchise there. We saw a bad game from Dick Henry. We saw a huge game from Corey Davis. What's the direction of the Titans now?
1: Well, I hope the direction is that um, they're going to bring in someone who uh, is going to better utilize what Mariota does well. I mean, and design an offense around his strengths. And, you know, like when they, when they won the week before, so much of it, you know, all of it was basically in the second half, it, you know, coming back in chiefs in the second half. And it was done primarily because they allowed Mariota to do the things he does well, like run out of hurry up, you know? And it's like, I just don't, I don't get why Malarkey was, was so stubborn about kind of having his offense as opposed to what Mariota does well. And it shouldn't be that hard to bring in an offensive coach that, tailors the system to his quarterback like I, I feel like so much of just what makes an offensive coach good is that he just tailors the system to whoever his quarterback is um and and doesn't kind of lock in place like you know this idea of how the offense should work regardless of what your quarterback strengths are i think that's you know it, it's you can almost separate out the good coaches by by the bad based on do they tailor their their scheme to their personnel and and of course the most important person uh, in that personnel as a quarterback. So, man, that, that's all I want. I just want I want an offensive-minded guy, really, and and then he, let's say they, they hire a defensive-minded head coach, at least bring in an offensive coordinator who is going to tailor the system around what Mariota does as well. And, but, uh, by the way, I'm really glad they let go of Malarkey. I think this is fantastic. They were talking about contract extension, which I was making me feel nauseous. So I'm really glad that he's out. I mean, <laughs> no, you know, I'm sure he's a, a, a very – good guy and everything, but just off the the way they were di- designing that offense was giving me headaches.
2: Sort of a peripheral question, but one that is relevant to fantasy owners. We're in the midst of our dynasty startup mock on the site right now. And for well, sure, wait, 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 Sean,
1: before we get into that, what, what do you, what do you think the Titans should do? I know you're a big Mariota fan.
2: Yeah. Well, I always want to see teams go out there and have the objective of scoring points. Anytime that you hear the coaches give an explanation for what they want to do that doesn't have uh, scoring and blowing out the opponent as the objective. That when you hear things like exotic smash mouth one, you know, that, that took a lot of heat for being uh, sort of a, a silly thing to say, but beyond the the silliness of, of choosing that particular phrase is simply that that's not a phrase that suggests the main thing we want to do is score points. You look at what Deshaun Watson has done in his short uh, stint with the Texans and you know, they, they put up points in huge bunches and you look at what Sean McVay did when he went to the Rams. He didn't say, okay, well, we've got some guys who are limited. We've got a quarterback that I'm kind of stuck with. We picked him really early and he's got a lot of limitations. So we want to hide him. You know, we've got this big time running back, or at least we think we've got a big time running back. He was one of the worst running backs in the entire NFL last year, but you know, we're going to run him on first and second down and try and stay ahead of the chains. And then, you know, somehow we'll make guys possession receivers like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, you know, try and get that third and and five conversion to them and move down the field little by little. That's not at all what his approach was. His approach is we're going to spread it out. We're going to get the ball in the hands of our playmakers. We're going to turn our quarterback, not into somebody that is barely functional, but somebody we can put up a huge number of points with. We're going to go out there and just pound our opponents. And that's what you want to see from any coach that you're hired you're hiring you want to see him uh, have confidence in the players but also take whatever players that you do have now the coach that's coming in with the titans has every reason to believe that marcus mariota can be a much bigger star than uh, someone like jared goff now can he be what deshaun watson has already started to show himself as that's a different question because mariota himself has actually made some plays that make you wonder on the other hand when he is unleashed they move the ball and they score points. And it's not just that, but someone like Derrick Henry, who has a lot of limitations as a runner, he's one of those guys, a little bit like a fast version of Eddie Lacey, where he needs a runway. He needs five, six, seven clear yards to get up to speed. And then when he does that, he can be very scary. He's got this size speed combination where okay you're, you're a savior you're a db trying to encounter him 15 yards down the field uh, he can both make you miss or just run over you once he's going there but you know if you're going to talk about trying to run derrick henry into the line with a bunch of defenders in the box and he's got to take a step to the side i mean he just goes down he doesn't make that move he doesn't have that quickness you know so You take the players that they have, and your objective has got to be to score points, to blow out the opponent, not to try and keep games close, rely on the defense, rely on fluky stuff that hopefully we can be 9-7 and and make the playoffs.
1: Totally agree. But we were going to get into uh, Rashard Matthews here.
2: Yeah, so part of that is if you're taking this tight end job, what are you going to do with Matthews? He he looked very good in 2016. Uh, He looked good in 2015. Just this past year, he had a little bit of a mixed season where he has what I think you still consider a very solid line with 53 catches, 795 yards, four touchdowns, and that includes missing a couple of games. So you're looking at just 14 games there, but he's going to be 29 early in or midway through the 2018 season, and he, he finished very slowly. You have Corey Davis emerging um, What's his value? I, I was somewhat surprised, but I got completely shocked that in the startup mock we're doing, he went at wide receiver 67, which that's shows a a pretty significant decline from where he was even at midseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if I was bringing in a coach for the Titans, my concern would be, what are they going to do with Corey Davis? Not not so much Rashard Matthews. Um, although Rashard Matthews, I think, could kind of be in like a good offense could kind of play that Michael Crabtree role, you know, in fantasy in a in the, in terms of like Davis is the guy who gets all hyped up and then Crabtree, um, you know, is, is still very much a viable wide receiver, um, in a more high powered offense. So from a fantasy perspective, I think like wide receiver 67, you know, he's certainly interesting there, um, in dynasty. I do, you know, looking at Matthew's contract, however, does show some downside risk because he's uh he's just got 1 year left with the Titans. Um it's hard for me to to think he'd end up in a better situation if he were to move on, that he can be cut next year. Um uh no, actually no, he can't be he can't be cut next year. It doesn't No, he can be cut next year and save $5 million. So um so he could be cut. I mean, that's that's part of it is that if he has like a bad off season, and they draft a couple wide receivers, and, I mean, they already they already drafted a couple last year. So, uh, like, he could be cut. That's, I think, one concern with him. Um, and certainly after 2018, if Davis kind of emerges and, and maybe they get more out of Taylor, you know, and again, if maybe they draft someone or bring another free agent in, like, he could be out of there in one year. So he's not someone that is kind of high on, on my target list, but it sounds like maybe – I'm in a a group that you think is kind of underrating Matthews. Is that right, Sean?
2: Matthews has been such a good player for the last several years and seems like a good fit there that I would really love to see him continue because he's one of those guys who really had to fight through the early portion of his career, being draftably late, not getting the credit he probably deserved for how good he was in college and the physical skill set that he brought to the table. At the same time, I, I am concerned because, like you said, they can cut him and save quite a bit of money and or they could really de-emphasize his role there i think one of the questions is how the new coach will evaluate their personnel and you have you know some young guys like johnny smith and and taylor there at the wide receiver position and if those guys are ready to take the next step which i don't necessarily think is the case uh, but will certainly be an off-season storyline to follow so if those guys are ready to take the next step then it it could be really dark for matthews Uh,
1: one of the things i think is do you think davis is ready to take the next step because i I do think that there are signs, at least, that he could be a big breakout for next year. He could have a. Yeah, I have
2: a really hard time with this because I want so much for him to be successful. He's one of those guys who was just simply amazing in college and actually got the credit for that, which a lot of players don't who play in a smaller conference a conference that isn't as high profile and where you hear a lot of rhetoric about them mostly beating defensive backs uh, and coverage that doesn't remotely stack up to the nfl and as opposed to suffering from that narrative he actually was one of the rare players who still was drafted really early at the same time we do have a few flags in that i've been putting together the numbers and we'll have an article out sometime here in the next couple weeks looking at this idea of even when you control for draft spot which obviously is huge you see very different outcomes from players who declare early and players who don't now there are other things involved there where if you have a senior who is a one-year wonder that's a very different thing from someone like Corey Davis who right from his first day essentially in college was on a player but there are a little bit of red flags there whether or not you believe that that he should be held accountable for that I mean again, you just really want to root for these guys who go back to college, who play that fourth year. Uh, Someone I really like, I think we've mentioned briefly on the pod, but Iowa State receiver Alan Lazard, not dominant nearly to the level of Corey Davis, but someone who was a very good college player but did stay for the four years. So you look at that and you don't, I I think no one really wants to penalize players for staying. At some time, even and especially once you've controlled for where they're drafted, there's just a huge difference the last 16 years in the nfl results for players who declared early and players who did not obviously for davis that's just a very small part of his resume and what you're looking at but he also had the injuries and then when marcus mariota targeted him this season he was extremely efficient so you, you start to stack up the concerns you look at was we're able to work out during the draft process so you know we we assume that he's an athlete, and I think there are plenty of reasons to believe that he's not a terrible athlete by any stretch. But you know, certainly we're not talking probably about you know someone as a, as a Julio Jones kind of level. So there are definitely some questions there. On the other hand, as someone who you know picked him at one hundred and one and at least one, and is just a fan in general, you see the catches that he made early on in that game. Uh, you see his overall numbers for uh, that game against the Patriots, and you know you finally have a ray of light there where perhaps he. Will be able to come back as a second-year player and make a huge jump.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope so. I, I was a big fan as well, and and kind of invested in him. But um, and I've probably suffered from the same bias there, where I'm just I really want him to succeed. Uh, you mentioned Johnny Smith. I Just wanted to mention he did tear his MCL in that playoff game. Um, hopefully, he'll be able to come back strong. And and it looks like it was just kind of a, a clean uh, only MCL tear there. So um, you know, hopefully he'll. Be able to rehab that and and uh, get back on the field, but it certainly makes it tougher to to rely on him for for next year. You know, as you mentioned, uh, some of those other younger players might not be ready. Uh, Taylor and Smith. So, anyway, unless uh, unless there's anything else here, Sean, I think uh, we're ready to bring on uh, Doctor Jeff.
2: Yeah, let's let's get into it with him and and see what we have to look forward to and just how scared we should be about drafting Andrew Luck in an early dynasty startups this season
1: all right uh, and make if you want to follow Jeff on Twitter he's on Twitter at Jeff Budoff. Uh, let's get to that interview please welcome to the show dr. Jeff Budoff he's a board certified orthopedic surgeon fellowship trained in sports medicine and upper extremities a contributor to Rotaviz, who you can follow online or follow on Twitter at Jeff Budoff Jeff thanks so much for joining the show
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me on. You recently wrote an article
2: for Rotoviz that was one of our most viewed and, and most appreciated, discussing Andrew Luck and the different scenarios and possibilities for his shoulder injury. Now, the you talked about five potential scenarios and I'm going to oversimplify him them here, but just quickly, they were a cartilage injury, rotator cuff damage, excessive tightness of the posterior capsule anterior instability, and a biceps tendon problem. So of those, are there any that you would like to discuss in more detail, or which two do you think are the most likely problems that he's dealing with?
3: Well, the most recent report I saw from his doctors was that it's a biceps problem. So, I mean, it's hard for me to argue with that, but I've never examined him. But uh You know, 95-plus percent of the time, a biceps problem is not a primary issue. It's due to another problem, usually the rotator cuff. And so it's hard to tell. Um, You know, when you have a lot of things going on, it's really tough to diagnose a biceps problem because the symptoms overlap with other problems like that from the rotator cuff or instability. But if those were taken care of and they're down to a dull roar, so to speak, Then, when the biceps becomes the sole remaining issue, it's a lot easier to make that diagnosis. So, it is possible that everything else was addressed and it is an isolated biceps issue at the present time. Uh, Otherwise, for the other, you know, it could just be a combination of many of the other things. You know, he threw on an unstable shoulder for close to two seasons, which is not recommended. And I, I really don't know why he didn't have surgery after the first year he threw on it, after the 2015 season. But I think it was a mistake to go into the 2016 season with a shoulder that was, you know, still unstable. I don't think he had his greatest year in 2016, probably because of that. And now he's where he is now. He missed the whole season, and he's he's a real question mark going ahead.
1: Yeah, what do you think the the ramifications are likely to be of him throwing for – as you as you mentioned, for two seasons on an unstable sh- uh, unstable shoulder, and then missing a third season, not able to play. You know that's a, already been a, a big ramification of all of this. But going forward, as we look at the 2018 2019 seasons, uh, what do you think are, are going to be the uh, the ramifications of of all this shoulder of all these shoulder issues that that Luck has had?
3: Well, he had surgery about a year ago in January of 2017. And it came out that it was not the typical front-of-the-shoulder problem that overhand-throwing athletes get or, you know, an anterior stabilization. But he had a posterior stabilization, which is the back of the shoulder, which is much more common in offensive and defensive linemen because they're basically punching their arms forward and into each other and it drives the head of the humerus or the ball of the shoulder's ball and socket joint out the back. So luck got it. I'm not sure how. Maybe falling forward during a sack but when you repair that on a throwing athlete that stresses out the anterior part of the shoulder capsule, the front of the shoulder more they should come back quicker not slower um you know that that's when i read that that really got my spidey senses up to use uh, gene bramwell's term and uh you know he was supposed to be back in six months it, it's not Uncommon for a throwing athlete to take nine months to recover, but you know, nine months passed, and you guys know as well as I do. He never got back. He started to try to throw, then he got persistent soreness in his shoulder, and he had an injection. But despite having a reasonable, a very reasonable amount of time to rehab and to rest it and to let it heal, and steroid injections, and very, very good medical care, I'm sure, uh, he never got back. And I thought and other orthopedic surgeons basically thought that he really needed to go under anesthesia again for a couple reasons. One, you can examine the shoulder under anesthesia when the patient's muscles are totally limp. So you can assess the ligaments and the tightness of the shoulder. You know, with Andrew Luck awake, I mean, his muscles are too quick and too strong for anybody, you know, to really get a sense of what's going on because the second he feels pain, he's going to tense his muscle and he'll spasm even if he's trying to relax and he'll guard against the exam. So when you examine him under anesthesia, you really get a sense of does he have any residual anterior instability? Is the posterior castle too tight from letting it sock in just a little bit too much uh, after the surgery? And then you scope it and between those two, you will know what's going on. And so you can come up with a diagnosis, which will then lead you to appropriate treatment. You know, hypochondrial injuries or prearthritis, which is sort of what Sam Bradford has in his knee right now, you can't really cure it. You can, you can help it, but you can't really cure it surgically. But the other issue is the rotator cuff can be addressed. Capsular issues can be addressed. The biceps can easily be addressed surgically. I mean, if he has an isolated biceps palm, that's a slam dunk surgery. And I don't know why he has uh, spurned or why he's done what he's done, but I can't imagine that his surgeons and physicians recommended him to leave Indianapolis, where there's a huge experience with overhead throwing athletes, to go to the Netherlands, where there's less experience to get rehab, I mean, he probably had a stem cell injection. You can ask Ryan Tannehill how much that helped his, uh, his knee because he got one and he missed the entire 2017 season after that. So I, I don't think we're in a significantly different place than we were at the start of the 2017 season.
1: Yeah, just just to reiterate, your, your feelings are he should have gotten surgery two years ago uh, after the 2015 season and waited. And now he now he should be going back under for an additional surgery, like at the moment, and is also holding it off. Is that a fair uh, summary?
3: Yeah, I mean
1: what I've read is that
3: he's had shoulder pain since week three of the 2015 season. So he missed a couple of games there. So if he played, I mean, a dozen games with shoulder pain in 2015, I'm sure he would have let somebody know, and I'm sure that, you know, they had a number of discussions about what to do. And I'm sure they rehabbed them through the season. But, yeah, that would have been the time to uh, really suspect an instability issue and really the time to take care of it because the last thing you want to do is take a shoulder that's unstable, meaning the ball and the socket are not constrained. So you have a lot of sliding of the ball on the socket during the throwing motion, you know, when you throw a ball, let's say you're 200 pounds and you're throwing fast, you get about 180 pounds of pull on that shoulder from throw. I mean, it's a pretty violent maneuver as far as the shoulder is concerned. So it's very stressful and you want to have a well-balanced, well-conditioned, stable shoulder to allow you to do that repetitively and have a, have a long career. And when the shoulder is not stable and the ball and the socket are not slip sliding on each other, it leads to a lot of problems. At least the shoulders leads to problems in the shoulder as well as all the shoulder blade muscles and other compensatory injuries. Issues with the shoulder that it leads to are number one, you can get arthritis. I mean the cartilage, you know, if you take two chicken bones and you pull them apart you get those nice shiny glistening white surfaces of cartilage, and that is a hundred times more slippery than ice on ice. We cannot even begin to engineer anything close to that. I mean, that, that is a tremendously awesome structure, and it allows you to do things with your joints for decades, uh, even stressful things without problems. So when you start to challenge that, because it's very good in compression and doing the things we normally do. But when the shoulder is unstable and you're shearing, it holds up very poorly in shear. And you can give yourself arthritis. That's why people with ACL-deficient knees or unstable knees are at high risk of arthritis because um, it shears, and it doesn't like that. So he could have a cartilage injury that they would never let us know. I mean, his surgeon would look in the shoulder with a scope, and he would know. But, you know, and luck would know because he would tell him. But they would never tell us. Is would you know decrease his stock so to speak, you know, because he'd have decreased longevity and you know less good chance of throwing productively for a period of time, when his you know financial value would go down. So they're not going to tell about that. It can lead to overuse of other structures because when the ligaments start to stretch, the structure that really gets strained and gets overused to try to maintain stability. to so that shoulder is the rotator cuff, which is most of you know is the weak part, you know, the weak length in the shoulder. And the rotator cuff gets involved, and that can get degenerative and uh, have problems. Uh, you can continue to stretch out the shoulder. Uh, so, you know, the posterior capsule is a little bit stretched, and now the anterior shoulder is taking a little bit more strain, and that can get stretched. And you can have all these other problems, which is why you really you don't want to be throwing at a competitive level on an unstable shoulder, and uh, he did, and he, I think he's paying the price for it. Now, the Colts have promised that he will be
2: ready for the 2018 season, but they've lost some credibility based on uh, the different things they said this year. It, you told me before the show that you would not draft him in redraft next season until you actually see him throw well. You wouldn't draft him as, as a QB1. For people who are drafting now in dynasty formats, uh, specifically, do they need to see him have a surgery or throw in off-season workouts before they can feel comfortable drafting him? We're currently doing a mock draft uh, for the site, and in that startup, Luck went as the number 7 quarterback at 7-Eleven which that really shows how far he's fallen and the concern about the injury. It, generally speaking, would that be an appropriate place? And, and what do people need to see this spring and summer before they invest in him at all?
3: Well, uh, I don't do Dynasty, but you need a discount. I mean, how much of a discount do you need? And, I, and I, you know, I don't really know how to value somebody that could get right and be good, you know, let's say it is his biceps and he says, to heck with it, I'm going to have surgery and he has surgery and he's fine and you know, you might have a steal on the other hand, it could be something besides the biceps like cartilage he might miss the 2018 season for all we know because you know, they guaranteed he'd be ready for 2017 at the start of the season and the middle of the season that he would definitely play and you know, I, I don't believe Jim Irsay, I don't believe the organization, I don't really I mean, I know he's optimistic, but he doesn't know and he hasn't started throwing it as far as I know. So, I mean, how do we know he's going to be back this year? So if, you know, for the sake of argument, let's say he doesn't, you know, get back in 2018, I would pretty much guarantee almost that he's going to need to have surgery at that point. And then if it is something fixable, then he could be back for 2019 and be good. If it's something correctable, like the biceps and now you got a heck of a discount. So, I mean, you, you do need a discount, but I'm not going to, I don't know the values in dynasty enough to tell you exactly how much, but if he doesn't get it taken care of, you know, the clock is already ticking on the 2018 season. So there's no guarantee he, uh, he's there when the season starts or even throughout it because you know, I've seen this movie before of them trying to rehab it and i just don't know what's different right now
1: jeff when you um kind of evaluate andrew luck as a redraft prospect for 2018 are you basically uh thinking that until you see him throwing it at 100 percent he's undraftable
3: well i wouldn't take it as my first quarterback and and you know i'm a redraft one quarterback guy and i really like auctions so I mean, if you're going to take him as your first quarterback when you haven't seen him throw, I mean, I don't know how you could have any faith unless you get, like, somebody really good as a backup, you know, to start with a great schedule, sort of like Carson Palmer was if you were the great early schedule, and somebody you could get and ride out while you're trying to figure out if luck can uh, play. Now, I'm, I wouldn't spend a lot on him, but I'd probably take somebody else, and then if I get luck as the second quarterback is a huge upside pick in case you know, he does have surgery later, he does get it back, you know, you'd have him. But I think most redrafters really don't draft until August, maybe July, the earliest your early industry drafts. And by that time, you'll have a lot more information because you'll have had OTAs and camp starts in July. And either, either he'll be throwing or he won't be throwing and either he'll be throwing well, or he'll be doing what he did this year when he had you know, out of all the four quarterbacks there, like Tolzien and Brissett, he had the weakest arm. So by the time you have to make that call, I think you'll have a lot of uh, additional information that we just don't have right now.
1: Awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Um, make sure to check out Jeff's article on Andrew Luck. Um, fantastic article. Gets into um, all the details, medical details, into, into exactly what's going on here. Um That's Andrew Luck's shoulder exploring five medical scenarios on Rotoviz. Make sure to follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Budoff. Jeff, thanks so much.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotaviz.com slash radio.
0: Right now, Sprint has a great deal. Double the fun. Buy the latest iPhone and get an iPhone 10R on us. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1 today. iPhone XR, 64 gigabyte, 31.25 a month. Second phone, $0.00 after 31.25 month. Credit apply within two bills. Requires two new lines of service. If canceled early, you're balance due. Coverage and offer not available. your 30 dollars activation fee. Restricted supply tax. to its They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment